morning. I bring you greetings from Grace Church of Orange, where I pastor. I have known your pastor, Josh, for many years. I was a pastor at the church where he grew up, and so I knew his mom and dad and his uh, brother and sister, and um, I'm very thankful for Josh, seeing him grow up and seeing him become a pastor, and he's a deeply thoughtful man, a careful expositor of the word. Uh, He loves Jesus and the church and the word of God. Uh, He's been a good friend to me over the years. I've benefited greatly from his wisdom and insight, and it is a pleasure to be here together uh, with you today to open up the Word of God. We'll be in Psalm 100. I'm preaching a sermon entitled, Your Daily Worship. Psalm 100, Your Daily Worship. I want you to hear the words of this psalm again. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And his faithfulness to all generations. Pray with me. Lord. We thank you and praise you for the privilege of being here today to pray, to sing praises to you, and now to open up your word. Pray, Lord, that our worship would flow out of grateful praise for Jesus' finished work on the cross. No matter what anyone is going through today, Lord, that we would rely upon him, that you would bless your people. Lord, open our eyes that we would see wonderful things in your word today. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. It's very common for professing believers to live with what is known as a knowing and doing gap. Knowing and doing gap. To be hearers of the word of God, but not doers of the word. It's kind of like when the air conditioning is on and the doors and windows are open, you know you need to close that gap. There is a disconnect often for professing believers about what you know as opposed to what you do and how you live. And you find yourself falling into um, familiar ruts that instead of grateful praise, you're grumbling and you're complaining. Instead of killing sin, you wallow in defeat. Maybe you go back to old sins, or maybe you find new sins. Instead of living with joy, you might be living in a quiet, desperate prison of your own making. You cut off from help, you're looking for answers, and the strength you lack, and often you are distracted, dedicated even sometimes to idolatry. You live a hurried, worried life of wild imaginations, impulse buys, and knee-jerk addictions. Maybe you find yourself where you can't even sit still. You can't focus. Even that anxious moment when you hand your phone to someone and they hold it for too many milliseconds. Give me that back, my precious. 
I was reading Ezekiel 8. And sometimes we live with these Ezekiel 8-like abominations in our lives in the presence of the glory of God where, and in Ezekiel 8, here's how it was. They, God was, was present in his glory and God ever present is ignored while professing believers provoke him and worship idols. And it got increasingly worse. They practiced in secret, even though the eyes of God saw it all and they had contempt for God. And even their, their leaders that were charged with guarding against idols went after them in secret. They're worshiping creatures and idols of their imagination and created things like the sun. And they were unrepentant. They were despicable. They were doing abominations. And it's easy to look at that and go, wow, how bad is that? But not so unlike the objects of our attentions too often. Detestable things. Substance addictions and pornography and lying and cheating and stealing and gluttony and greed and gossip. And maybe you find yourself caught. Maybe your foot is caught. And in those moments, like so many, you take bad advice. You know, you, you dial it up and realize that there are five ways to live your best life now. Just live in the present moment, they tell you. Do the things you love. Take care of your mental and physical health and build and repair meaningful connections and set healthy boundaries for yourself. But what you find is that human wisdom sinks you deeper into sin. Or it's all about the Benjamins. Or you wanted to listen to Jordan Peterson. Just work as hard as you can. Or Elon Musk, follow what makes your soul feel alive and burns inside you without ceasing. Yeah, that'll get you nowhere good fast. Maybe you want to listen to your favorite podcaster for hours upon end and you're just grasping for substance and you're only getting straws. And the only answer is remember the God you forgot. You don't want to forget, but you forget. The only answer, what happens when you remember? The word of God realigns you. It recalibrates your heart. It, it transforms you by the renewing of your mind by the spirit through the word of God. You know that what you do daily and often shapes you and reflects your top priorities. And what I want to submit to you today is that God can use Psalm 100 to refocus you today and every day to his sovereign goodness and glory. Such that you would worship God daily with grateful praise. Grateful praise. Thomas Watson said, praise is a soul in flower. Just blooms. John Livingstone said, an hour of praises is worth a day of fasting and mourning. Praising God is our purest, highest act. We, we came in this morning and we, we sung praises to God. I don't know about you, but so often I come into a worship service and it takes two or three songs just to defrost my heart. Praising God is our highest, purest act, and yet your soul gets bogged down with the world's concern. 
when we were driving to Bakersfield yesterday, and I've driven through the grapevine so many times, and I've seen this every time, but there's, there's this grapevine runaway truck ramp. And there's one on the right and one on the left. And you're like, well, how did they make the one on the left? There's a, they made one. And they did so because they cared, because there was a safety concern, because there had been accidents because of runaway trucks. And so they built a grapevine runaway truck ramp. It's a wonderful invention. I want to submit to you today that Psalm 100 is and can be for you your safety ramp for a runaway life. Maybe your life is just running amok. And the safety ramp for a runaway life is curated by God for his glory and your good. Psalm 100. More commentaries written on the book of Psalms than any other book in the Bible. The Psalms were written throughout the time of the Old Testament revelation from Moses' time, from Moses, Psalm 90, to after the exile, Psalm 126. 72 of the Psalms were attributed to people like David and Solomon and Asaph and Heman and the sons of Korah. There are 50 that are for the choir master, so it was, they were to be sung by a group of people. Some of the Psalms are laments, they're individual or corporate lament. Some are thanksgiving hymns, songs of praise, Some are wisdom psalms, Psalm 1, Psalm 119, reflecting on the word of God. And some of them are imprecatory. We're asking God to to bring judgment upon his enemies. New Testament writers refer to the psalms more than any other Old Testament book. And the major focus of the psalms is on the work of the Messiah and his kingdom. And in a number of psalms, Christ is spoken of directly, Psalm 2 and 22 and 45 and 72 and 110. John Calvin called the Psalms an anatomy of all the parts of the soul. An anatomy of all the parts of the soul. I call it the theological songbook for God's people. Our theological songbook to guide us, to guide believers in thinking through truth in in reasoning through the truth as it applies to our life in in terms of as we pray and even sing and sing the ways of God. Exactly two-thirds through the book of Psalms, you run into Psalm 100, the hundredth. It's a pinnacle of Biblical theology and encouragement, it is, it, is, it is one of those high points in Scripture. It is highly memorizable. Any of you memorized Psalm 100? If you have it memorized? Many people memorize Psalm 100. It is famously focused on the universal reign of God as king, as the king of the universe. And, and it's a benediction to a string of psalms that is speaking of God as king of the universe. 95, 96, 97, 98, 99, and then Psalm 100 caps it off. It's this call to worship. It's a call for the whole world to worship Yahweh, that the entire earth is being called to worship Yahweh with joy. There are exclamations abound in these short five verses. Grateful praise to God, who is over all, who cares for all. Is a psalm 
of thanksgiving, specifically described as a hymn or a song devoted to praising Yahweh. The hundredth psalm, a psalm of praise, a psalm of thanksgiving, and there is not a single note of sadness. Some of you brought your sadness into this room. Some of you brought burdens that you've been carrying for many years. There is not one single note of sadness in this psalm, and you might be tempted to think, this is not for me today. I'm too weighed down. How could I be joyful? God is being praised from beginning to end. And the entire earth is being called to join in praising God. Especially those who are most burdened. There was written to be chanted in festal procession as they are coming to the temple of God and entering the temple to worship, and it's written in, in just an unbroken stream of praise to God. What, what it does, and this is what the Bible does, and especially the Psalms, what it does is it puts you into a realm that you're not usually in all the time in daily life. Now, I think every Christian should memorize the Psalms. Old Testament Psalms. Why? They, they portray a high view of God and a realistic view of man. You know, counteracts are prone to wander selfish views of life. They teach us sound theology. They teach us holy living. They, they give the church this God-centered songbook that shapes our hearts and minds, the Psalms. And the gospel tie-ins are plenteous, just over and over again. And here the psalmist is calling for joyful praise. Believers have joy and gratitude in the salvation given in Christ. This is for believers. This psalm is for believers. And it calls people who aren't believers to be believers, to become believers. See, Psalm 100 expects anyone with new life to respond. Whether you're burdened, whether you're crushed, whether you're joyful, that you are to be responding to this psalm. And if you're not a believer today, you're being, you're being faced with truth about how you ought to live. Psalm 100 is a joyful, uh, celebratory psalm expressing grateful praise to God, and it calls for four God-centered actions. We're going to break it down as we move through this psalm with four God-centered actions. And the first is this, and it's in verses one and two. If you want to put your eyes on these verses in your Bibles, the first, in verse one, it says, make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. And verse two says, serve the Lord with gladness. And the first point here, the first action it's calling for, the first God-centered action is that you would worship God with a joyful heart. Only a believer can worship God, and only a believer can have a joyful heart. Make a joyful noise to the Lord All the earth, the whole earth is being called to bow before the sovereign God of the universe. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. That's respond rightly to the God of the universe with a cry of joy. Literally shout joyfully. You know, we shout. We'll shout angrily. We'll shout mindlessly. We'll we'll shout selfishly. This is shout to Yahweh, all the earth. Everyone should worship him and do it with joy. Verse 2, serve the Lord 
with gladness. I've quoted this verse so many times. Serve the Lord with gladness. A believer can do that. Only a believer can do that. That you, that you would emphatically do it. This is, this is written very emphatically. Serve the Lord with gladness. Emphatic. Offer him your worshipful obedience. And don't do it grudgingly. Don't do it as, as drudgery. Don't do it as some heavy obligation. A lot of times we'll, you know, intend to serve someone, but we do it grudgingly or thinking, acting like it's drudgery or, you know, making people feel guilty because we're feeling obligated. Even certain jobs, if you work in the service industry, you know that certain jobs sometimes get looked down upon wrongly, but they get down, looked down upon. And even, let's say you're forced to serve. It can be degrading. Degrading. It can be a disgrace. It could, if, you're, if you're forced to be a slave and to serve someone. But you don't need to fear serving God. But he is the best master. Satan is a harmful master, a hateful taskmaster. God is a good master. In fact, if you're a believer today, you're a freed slave. You were a slave to sin. Now you're a servant of Jesus. And you're called to be coming before him with joyful singing. Sometimes we don't want to sing. Sometimes the last thing on our minds is singing. And here we see that he is expecting our praise. Here at the end of verse 2, come into his presence with with singing. He is expecting and deserving praise, very specific praise. It's right out of the theological songbook here. He inhabits the praises of his people. We are to give a joyful shout. It's like Psalm 145. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Or Isaiah 24. It speaks of people lifting up their voices, singing for joy. Over the majesty of the Lord they shout from the west. Therefore, in the east, give glory to the Lord in the coastlands of the sea. Give glory to the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. From the ends of the earth, we hear songs of praise. What are they praising God for? They're praising God for his salvation. They're praising God for his deliverance. It's for the glory of the righteous one, it says. And here in Psalm 100, all the nations are being called, being told even, to sing of the Lord's goodness in creating and saving. And we know plenty of people, and there are millions of people that want to do nothing of the sort, right? But the Christian, oh, the Christian can do it. But here, all nations are told to sing of the Lord's goodness in creating and saving. Reminds me of the day of Pentecost. On the day of Pentecost, all the nations are gathered. And here is Peter preaching, standing up boldly and authoritatively. He is he is bringing the word, it's a word-driven sermon and it's Christ-centered and it's heart-piercing and the people are convicted of their sins. He's telling them that they crucified Jesus and they say, what shall we do? And he says, repent. Every time in the book of Acts, when you see repent, it, it expects belief. And every time you see the word belief, like in Acts 16, 31, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. It expects repentance. The whole Christian life is one of repentance. You turn from your sins to Christ. Repent and believe. What is the upshot of that? The people, there's 3,000 some. It doesn't even give the exact number. You know, we get so interested in how many were there. Well, around 3,000. Maybe 2,000. 
some up to up to close to three. Maybe it's three thousand and five. What were they doing? All day long, day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God. That's what they're doing. They're praising God. They're having favor with all the people. And the Lord keeps adding to their number day by day those who are being saved. See, uh, the Christian with the frown on their face, nobody wants to be around that. And the Christian with the frown on their face isn't preaching the gospel. You need to preach the gospel. And you need to tell people, hey, by the way, uh, Jesus died for sin in your place so that you could have life. Paul told the Philippians, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. He had to repeat it. We have to be reminded. Rejoice. Remember the joy that you have in Christ. Psalm 42 says, if your soul is, is, is cast down, let's say you walked in here today and your soul is cast down and you, you're crushed under a load. What, what does it say to do? Pour out your soul to God. Why are you cast down on my soul? Verse two, come into his presence with singing. Let's think about that. It's what believers do. Believers sing. Some don't sing that well. Some sing beautifully. But it's the outflow of the life of Christ in a believer. As an unbeliever, I did not want to sing praises to God. I did not want to sing Christ-centered, God-centered songs, God-exalting songs. No, I wanted to sing songs about things I liked, things that were dishonoring to God. But the Christian, you need to find it appropriate to sing. You can't make the excuse that I don't have a good voice. Sing. Now, it's not like you're going to go singing into every situation you're in. I mean, that's kind of weird and off-putting. If the person comes in the room when someone's singing all the time, sorry, worship team. I know there's people on worship teams that sometimes like to go singing in every room. But you should find appropriate places to sing. When your heart is joyful, you rejoice and remember the joy you have in Christ, no matter the situation. Psalm 95 says, come, let us, the people of God together, come, let us sing to the Lord. So guess what? What you were doing this morning, good job, disciples of Disciples Church. You, you did the right thing. You did what the Bible says to do. Let us sing to the Lord. Make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Come into his presence with thanksgiving. Make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. Good job, church. We shout angrily, but we're called to shout joyfully. And the overflow of the heart reborn is a heart rejoicing in Christ. Shout for joy. That literally means to have exuberant praise that is expressed. You express it somehow. This is a call to the world to worship God. It's a call to salvation. You might go, no, no, no. This is just like a, a cool opening to the song. It's a call to salvation. Acts 17, Paul is preaching and he says, God who made the world and everything in it, the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. He himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything in him we live and move and have our being. In the times of ignorance, God is overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. This is a call to repentance. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. He says he calls 
all people, he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. It's like Psalm 100 verses 1 and 2 are crying out, screaming at the top of its lungs, everyone should repent and believe in the Messiah. Today, 2023, everyone should repent and believe in Jesus Christ. It's your heart if you're a believer would overflow with gratitude to our sovereign God for his good grace and mercy in your life. That God does this magnificent work in your heart by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, as revealed in his word alone, solely for the glory of God alone. Now, there might be someone here today, and I said this the first hour as well, I don't know you. I know a couple of you. You may have yet to confess Christ as Lord. Maybe you are not a believer. If that's you, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross in dying in your place as your substitute, shedding his blood, taking your sin upon himself. You need to believe. You need to turn from your sins. You need to repent and be saved. You need to turn from your sin to Jesus. You know, last week, there were all these warnings for the hurricane, the big hurricane that was coming got downgraded to a um, tropical storm warning. And it was all over Southern California. And it turned out just to be a constant rain for a day where I live. People were joking about it. People were saying, come on down to the beach. It's the water is fine. Okay. Uh, The warnings ended up being far worse than the actual storm. But the storm of wrath and judgment to come on those under the wrath of God because of their sin will be far worse than anyone thinks. And you should not ignore the warnings. You may have been hearing the gospel over and over. I know people like this, where they hear the gospel over and over again, and they will not, they will not repent. They will not believe. They will not surrender. Don't ignore the warnings. This psalm is telling you, Surrender to Jesus. Literally, right now, on August 27th, 2023, this psalm is telling you, surrender to Jesus. You're like, no, no, no. It just says, uh, make a joyful noise to the Lord. Give him everything. The hundredth calls for grateful praise, a full surrender to the sovereign God. You want to know what a full surrender to the sovereign God is on August 27th, 2023? Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. They were expecting him when the psalmist wrote this. And he has appeared. This is a call of expectation for everyone on earth to worship the only sovereign God with everything they've got. The God is sovereign. He is the creator. He is the sustainer of all. He holds everything together by the word of his power. He works all things after the counsel of his will. And we are sinful. We are stubborn. We are rebellious. We are wayward. We are hateful. But Jesus is our substitute. He is the only savior. He sacrificed himself. So you must surrender. You must repent. You must believe. You must trust. You must rely upon Jesus. Serve the Lord with gladness. 
serves his worship. The unrepentant do not praise him or serve him, much less sing. Many fake it falsely. The churches of America and to the ends of the earth are filled with people faking it falsely. Only believers can do what Psalm 101 and 2 say. Unless God grants you a heart of repentance, you cannot repent and believe in Jesus. There's nothing good in you that made you seek Jesus. The Lord sought you. He opened your eyes. If you're a believer today, he opened your eyes to the wickedness of your heart in view of his holiness and he drew you to himself by his mercy and grace and he granted you repentance as a gift without which you cannot be a follower of Christ. Is salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, seen in scripture alone, for the glory of God alone. There must be repentance or you are not a follower of Christ. If you do not know of your need to repent, how can you know you need to be saved? God grants repentance that we may turn away from sin to Jesus and follow Jesus and praise Jesus with our life. Worship God with a joyful heart. That is, by the way, a believer's daily obsession. You might be obsessed with many things today. You might be obsessed with certain things. Your family can tell you what you're obsessed with. Your friends can tell you what you're obsessed with if you can't admit it. But here's the thing. The believer's daily obsession is to worship God with a joyful heart. Point number two this action, this God-centered action being called for in this, in this psalm, we find it in verse 3, and it is this. You need to acknowledge God's Godhood. You acknowledge God as God. Look what it says in verse 3. Put your eyes on verse 3. Know that the Lord, he is God. Way. Yahweh. It's God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Know that God is God and you are not. Recognize the certainty of this fact, specifically told you in the word of God, and, and with reverence acknowledge God's Godhood. He is God. God's not your homeboy. God's not a genie. God's not a creation of your mind. God's not a figment of your imagination. He is God. And what he wants the believer to do is be completely satisfied and assured of the truth that he is God that you confess the one true God, the covenant God, Jehovah, the only true God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We didn't create ourselves. We didn't make ourselves. You know, there's people you know that say, uh, no, God didn't create me. Well, they're, they're, they're deceived or they're lying. They're wrong. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. It shows his sovereignty. It shows his aseity, that he is self-originated. He's self-generated. The, the, the good God, the triune God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We see it in creation. We see it in the word, by the word of his power, that he knows best, that we know least, that he knows most, right? He made us. He created every human being, whether they acknowledge him or not. says, we are his people. Then it says, we're, we're the sheep of his pasture. 
with this motif of the of a shepherd with sheep and all through the bible it's god the shepherd king of his people god the shepherd king of israel the lord and just over the psalms and isaiah and jeremiah and zechariah and and all through the scriptures and then and then you see it he's the good shepherd he cares for every need we're his sheep Isaiah 40 says, get up on a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. God, God comes with might. His arm rules for him. His reward is with him. His recompense is before him. And he will shepherd his flock like a shepherd. He will tend his flock. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will gather them in his bosom. He will gently lead those that are with young. The Lord is the shepherd of all his people. If you're a Christian today, he is your shepherd. He is leading and guiding and protecting, providing. How many deliverances that you have no idea came about? In John 10, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. My sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. By the way, you're not going to hear voices out there. You're going to hear the voice in the word of God. Hebrews 3. Uh, if, you, if, you listen to, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Hebrews 4. The word of God is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. You open your Bible and hear the word of God. You hear the voice of God in the Bible. My sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life. They will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my Father's hand. Why? Because he's God. Some people like to build a facade, kind of a fake movie prop kind of thing that looks like they're a Christian. Gives them a sense of security, and they think they're right with God, and they get busy looking with churchy activities, and there's no life. And the facade crumbles when the storm comes and when it gets tough in life. But the believer knows they don't have to pretend. They serve a gentle, loving shepherd who created them and recreated them, twice born, never to die again. And that you can, if you're a Christian today, you can tell yourself this. Say, I I know God is God and I am not. You could tell yourself this daily. It will help you. Acknowledge God as God every day. When you slip into the lordship position, you just repent and obey. There's something I find myself saying a lot. Three letters, OGK. OGK. Only God knows. Only God knows so many things that we don't know. But here, only God knows those who are his. 2 Timothy 2.19 tells us that. 2 Timothy 2.19, there's two quotes. The Lord knows those who are his and let anyone who names the name of the Lord abstain from wickedness. These are two quotes from Numbers 16, Numbers 16, 4 and Numbers 16, 26. And it's, it's about, it was about Korah's rebellion against Moses and Aaron and ultimately God. And, And it says, the Lord knows those who are his. If you're his, he knows. Someone might say, well, you're not a Christian. Well, you know what? You know, cause he knows. The Lord knows those who are his. And if you are saying you're a believer, if you're a professing Christian, then you will do this. You will depart from iniquity. What does that mean? It means you don't want to sin. You don't wake up planning out your sin. I had a man tell me once, I, my every waking moment is spent planning out this one sin that I will not give up. 
If you're a Christian, you don't want to sin. And when you do sin, you repent. Worship God with a joyful heart. Acknowledge God's Godhood. He is God. He knows those who belong to him. And number three, if you put your eyes on verse four, gratefully declare your dependence on God. Be glad that you are dependent upon God. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Verse four, give thanks to him, bless his name. It's talking about entering gates and courts. This would be the courts and the gates of the temple of God. This would be the public worship of God with his people, by his people, where you're bringing praise to God. Some people come into church and they complain. Someone took my chair. Publicly worshiping God with his people with praise. That you would be, as James 1 says, quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. You'd be quick to hear the word of God, slow to speak a word against God, slow to anger with God. That you would say, no, God is in control and I am dependent on him. Entering the gates with thanksgiving and the courts with praise, it puts you into the realm of the word of God. Where you're going to hear the word of God. That the courts were the place of community and worship. And the local church is your spiritual home that preaches the word of God and you rejoice and rest and you have relationships and you go out all week long keeping the word of God and reading the word of God and sharing the word of God with your home. Augustine put it this way, let the flock enter into the gates. Let it not remain outside a prey for wolves. Paul was speaking to the Ephesian elders, Acts 20. He said to them, you know, I didn't hold back anything. I, I proclaim to you the full counsel of God. He, he, he preached the word of God. In fact, at the end of his, at the end of his um, talk with the Ephesian elders, he said, I commend you to God in the word of his grace. He's able to build you up and give you the inheritance. But he says in the middle, he says, after I leave, savage wolves are going to come in among you from among your own selves and try to draw the disciples away to them. If I were you, Disciples Church, I'd be very thankful for a group of elders who keep watch over your soul, who are careful with the word of God, who open up the word of God and they read it. They look for authorial intent in context. They get the meaning of the text. They read it. They explain it. They apply it. They exhort with it. They keep watch over your souls. You, you want to read Hebrews 13, 17 later, how you're to help them do their job with joy and not with groaning. Here we're to enter into his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise and give thanks to him and bless his name. It's talking about the people of God, believers coming together to worship, just like you did today. Good job, Disciples Church. You do it together, unified witness. When Jesus said, uh, they'll know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another, it's when you come together and do the one another's. His, his redeemed people gathered together, rejoicing with grateful praise and loving each other and giving the gospel to the ends of the earth, giving the gospel to Bakersfield and the surrounding valley and to the ends of the earth. That you would say together, bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. I'm dependent upon him. I'm dependent on him. Every benefit I have in my life depends on him. 
And I'm not just grabbing things out of thin air. I, I read it in the word. You know, Psalm 19 starts with general revelation about creation, but it goes on and speaks of special revelation about the word of God. Anything you know in a saving way, you know from the Bible, the written word of God, the inscripturated word of God. Colossians 3 tells us, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. When we speak of the name of the Lord Jesus, we're not talking about a name flat on a billboard. We're talking about who he is and what he does, the name of God, the name of Jesus, who he is and what he does. That's why Hebrews 13, 15 says, through him, through him, through Christ, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. You're saying, I depend on you. You know, if you're underwater, you need an oxygen tank or you die. If you're in the desert, you need a water supply or you die. Without Jesus and the word, you shrivel up. You know, you can pray. You should pray like this. Lord, I depend on you for life and for breath and for everything. I can't live without you, Lord. You hold all things together by your powerful word? You brought the universe into existence by your word? You work all things after the counsel of your will? I need you. You're God, I am not. I depend on you. I'm gonna practice a lifestyle of gratitude. I'm gonna say thank you. I'm gonna recognize God's blessings in my life. I'm gonna choose thankfulness in every circumstance. And I'm gonna do it with the church. I'm gonna model it with each other. You know what you can do, Disciples Church? You can let your hearts overflow with grateful praise to our great God for him bringing you together, calling you together as a local assembly to serve his purposes in this time. That's what you can do if you want to praise the glories of God's grace, grateful. I believe this with all my heart that this church, this local church, has everything God intends you to have to do everything he intends you to do today. He's gifted you in many ways as a church. You have a privilege to exercise those gifts to build his body and bless others. And you have this unique God-given opportunity to reach the nations with the gospel that are at your doorstep here in Bakersfield, even to the ends of the earth. And that you can conclude this as you gratefully declare your dependence. God has mercifully gathered you together for such a time as this. And he's adding to it day by day as he will. You worship God with a joyful heart. You acknowledge God's godhood. You gratefully declare your dependence. Do what Psalm 100 says in Christ's strength and for his glory. And then look at the fourth point. It's in verse five. You praise God's sovereign worthiness. You praise God's sovereign worthiness. Look at verse five. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever, his faithfulness to all generations. This is speaking literally of everlasting mercy. Literally, his mercy is forever. 
Okay, it's like the frequent line in Psalm 118 and Psalm 136. His mercy endures forever. And it says his, his faithfulness, literally his truth, this is the word of God. It endures forever. It endures to all generations, literally to, to generation and generation. That our hope is in the sovereign faithfulness of God, that he will keep his promises to us, that he will forgive, that he will deliver, that he will cleanse, that he will give us rest in his kingdom forever. God's sovereign worthiness is rooted in his goodness. I mean, consider the nature of God's goodness is not like our supposed goodness or anything we call good. I mean, you call a hamburger good or you're looking for a good time. God is the epitome of goodness and mercy and truth and he keeps his promises and he's faithful and it's not generic, it's specific. In your life, in his church, in all times, in fulfilling his saving purposes. That excites my soul. That God's goodness is absolutely other, just like he's holy. Absolutely other. And it's in quality and quantity. A lot of it and of the highest purity. You know, like when you have something you really like and your favorite drink or your favorite food and it, it runs out, you're like, oh, it's all gone. And, and I don't have time to, you know, get online and get somebody to bring one to me this afternoon. It's past that time. And, um, well, here's the thing. With God's goodness and mercy and faithfulness, it doesn't run out. It's always plenteous. It's always pure. He's all goodness. He's full of loving kindness and mercy, and his faithfulness runs to all generations and covers every believer. I mean, the sun rises on everybody. The sun shines on everybody. The rain falls on everybody. God's eternally God, but he is the sustainer and the sole savior of the believer of his people and the only savior anyone could have. Psalm 36 tells us, your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Psalm 103 says, the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. His righteousness to children's children, those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. Like Jesus said, if you love me, you'll do what I say. And you know what he says in his word. God is faithfulness. God is truth. When God described himself to Moses, here's what he said. Exodus 34, 6 and 7. The Lord passes before Moses and proclaims, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And he doesn't stop there. But who will by no means clear the guilty? Those who refuse Christ, those who refuse to repent. Romans 15 tells us Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness, faithfulness, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As is written, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing your name. In Titus 1, it says, it was written in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, he's faithful, promised before the ages began, and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching commanded by God. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. 
And if you've heard the gospel and responded, you can do Psalm 100. And it's just like 1 Peter 2, 9 says, you're a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're a people for his own possession to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You once were not a people, but now you are God's people. You once had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Romans 9 tells us, God says, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. Hebrews 6.19 tells us this, if you're a believer, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, the Holy of Holies. God's mercy and faithfulness seen in the gospel, lived out in the church, that you and I can surrender to his control and guidance and rest secure in his providential care, all because of his sovereign worthiness. Praise his sovereign worthiness, even as he has providentially orchestrated you to be here today. You praise God for saving you. You praise God for blessing you with one another. You praise God for uniting you together to serve his purpose. And as you return to this idea again and again and again, that this psalm reflects the joy of salvation. This psalm is what the redeemed do. And Christ's sacrifice is why we're thankful. You rejoice together in regeneration hope that apart from God making the dead live, you have no hope. That you cannot glorify God unless and until God gives you new life, also known as regeneration. And it's solely due to his free sovereign choice, also known as election. Romans 9 tells me. And it's not due to human willpower or choice. The gospel tells you Christ once for all, sacrifice for sin, calls you to turn from your sins and follow Jesus. And you respond in faith, you respond in repentance, you're converted and you experience immediate justification and ongoing sanctification and ultimately the assured glorification. And you can do what Psalm 100 says. You can praise God gratefully because you've been brought into the family of God and you find a newfound hunger for the word of God and fellowship with his people and you desire the salvation of the nations. All due to God's sovereign choice and initiative, not attributed to you and I, We were dead. God makes the believer alive, grants you faith to believe, and you have this grateful praise now while in exile on earth. And it's imperfect praise. And one day, you'll have eternal praise that you'll be pouring out to God, perfect in our heavenly home. But this is why I'm rejoicing in in regeneration right now. It's why you can... If you're a believer, why you can do what Psalm 100 says, that you say, Jesus, the creator and sustainer of all things, saved me. Ari, saved me. And the sovereign Savior promised in the garden, preached to Abraham, prefigured in the wilderness, predicted by the prophets, praised in the Psalms, prayed for in exile, pierced on the tree of pain, proclaimed to the nations at Pentecost, he persists today. Perfect. I rejoice in regeneration. I rejoice with my soul anchored in Christ. Jesus, he paid my debt. He served my sentence. He bore my sins. He, can, he was condemned in my place. He, he was chastised for my crimes. He was counted a transgressor due to me. 
But all for his glory and joy of his many chosen, including me, he set us free and reckoned us righteous. We go from angst to awe. We're slaves of sin and now we're slaves of righteousness. We were a child of wrath. Now we're a children, child of God. We were striving all the time. Now we can be serving him with gladness. We were blaming all the time. Now we can be a blessing. We were greedy. Now we can give. We were lost. Now we're found. Christ did it all. He poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors and he bore the sins of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. He even prays for us now. So, keep rejoicing in regeneration and rehearsing the gospel glories to yourself and reach people with the good news that can't be kept in. Praise God's sovereign worthiness. These, these four you know, God-centered actions, they distinguish the believer the one who has new life in Christ, new creatures in Christ, their life, it, it describes that. You, you can worship God with a joyful heart if you're a believer. You can acknowledge God's godhood. You can gratefully declare his, your dependence on him, and you can praise his sovereign worthiness. And it's only because God enables it. He moves your heart to praise Christ in you, the hope of glory. So you can praise him gratefully. You could take this psalm from the Psalms, this theological songbook of the church, and keep pointing to all of this. And you can make it your daily worship. You can make Psalm 100 your daily worship. Whatever you do, daily with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, with all your soul, is your daily worship. Now, it might be your work. It might be your pleasures. It might be your addictions. It might even be conflict or complaining. You might find your soul getting so dragged down by everything. And the fires in Maui just wrecked you. SoCal hurricanes, downgraded tropical storms wrecked you. The election cycles ramping up are wrecking you. Political tension just wrecks you. The social upheaval just wrecks you. Internal strife just wrecks you. The stress of life just wrecks you. Navigating relationships wrecks you. Battling your sin wrecks you. Figuring out how to ride the moguls of life with all its bumps and bruises wrecks you. Everything wrecks you. Everything overwhelms you. And it crashes down if you're not anchored in the Word. So you need to be reoriented and recalibrated to God again and again and again. This repentance lifestyle, realigned under God, no better way to do that than with Scripture, the Word of Christ dwelling in you richly. I want to challenge you today. Make Psalm 100 your daily worship. Memorize it, meditate on it, live in light of it. Say it every day. You can worship God with, daily, with grateful praise every day. That You could... Adopt a lifestyle of grateful praise. You know, living before the face of God, Coram Deo. It will, I, I'm going to tell you, it'll transform your heart. It'll transform your household. It'll transform your ministry. It'll transform Disciples Church. And the ripples will reverberate. This goodness, as you meditate on and mindfully live the 100th, the that even, that even the word dwelling in you richly like that would even affect your knee-jerk reactions. 
It'll be flavored by love of the truth. And that maybe the, the ripples will be seen for generations should the Lord tarry. In Christ's strength and for his glory. Psalm 100 has been my daily worship companion since 1982. For 40 plus years, I got saved when I was 20 years old, 1982. I recite 100 daily. It hasn't made me perfect, but it points me to a perfect God. Our family memorized it from saying it together hundreds of times. Grooves just get etched into your soul. It is often on my mind. It has indelibly impacted my life. It is part of my daily worship. And I hope it will become yours. Lord, we thank you and praise you and love you and worship you. We pray, Lord, in dependence on you. Lord, we even ask that you would close that knowing, doing gap in our lives, that we would not live a double life or a shameful life, but that we would even make your word our daily worship, even Psalm 100 our daily worship, that you would even reset our hearts and recalibrate them and even even resuscitate our life if necessary, that you would be praised, that you would be honored, that you would be glorified. And we pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.